0: Good morning. My name is Tessa. This morning, our scripture reading is from Psalms. Please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. I'll be reading Psalms 63, verses 1 through 7 from the New English Version. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being belongs to you, for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary, and behold your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of food. With singing and with singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. The word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. morning. How are you all doing? Good? Great? All right. My name is Peter. I am one of the pastors here. Glad to be with you all this morning. We have been this summer in a book of the Bible called the Psalms. And the Psalms are a collection of poems and chants and songs, and prayers, and it was written by a uh, multiple uh, number of uh, writers. Today's uh, psalm is written by our most beloved king. His name is King David, and uh, one of the things you really have to appreciate about uh, David is that he was an honest guy, and he uh, was extreme in his feelings in the way he experienced His own life, the way he related to God and others. And the Psalms really depict this in a helpful way. And the way uh, David operated was he allowed himself to feel whatever feelings he had. He never suppressed them, nor did he uh, consider feelings to be the end-all, be-all. So on the one hand, he felt things strongly... He didn't suppress it, nor did he praise it, but he did this thing called praying. So he prayed his feelings. And one of the deeper truths about that is there's an invitation to never break the relationship. What that means is when David was mad at God and he felt extreme things about God towards God, instead of shutting God off, he would pray feelings of anger towards God. He would pray things like, God, I never want to talk to you again. I don't like you anymore. You've disappointed me. You've let me down. Your enemies are triumphing over me. I don't want to have anything to do with you ever. But he's saying it to God, about God. He's feeling these things. And just because he felt it doesn't mean it was great. And just because these were negative doesn't mean he suppressed them, but he prayed them. And that's one of the uh, great things I love about the book of Psalms. I think human beings, uh, we are very quick to break the relationship. I imagine these uh, soap operas from the 80s and 90s. Uh, I remember watching a soap opera called Santa Barbara. Anybody watch Santa Barbara? Yeah? They always left the room. Right when the conversation was getting good, somebody would be mad, turn around, and leave the room. And it was frustrating. They were always willing to break the relationship at the drop of a hat. That's what human beings do. We leave the room, we break the conversation. We are always willing to put the relationship on the line. But God just doesn't do that, He sticks around. He doesn't abandon ship. If God claims that he is the greatest resource that we need, then he's going to stick around. Even if we're messing up, even if we disappoint, even if we ignore him, even if we're angry at him. He knows that still, no matter what's happening in our life, even if it's against him, he's still the best shot we have. So he sticks around. Now, Christians don't necessarily do this. We love to condemn things and people and categories, and we say, you know what? You don't have the light. I have the light. You're walking in darkness. Therefore, I'm leaving. You're a nail. I got the only hammer in the room, so see ya. Makes no sense, but this is what we tend to do. If you really believe you have the truth, that you know something, that you know what life is about, you claim to know the God of the universe, the source of all things, the source of all wisdom and knowledge and power, if you feel you're the one that's connected to that being, stick around a little. Be helpful. Don't break the relationship. And the Psalms, as a collection, as a book, just have... Prayer after prayer after prayer of people choosing to continue the relationship. Going through devastating seasons in their life. Experiencing trauma and catastrophe and surprise. God, I don't like you. But can we talk about that over lunch? Great. Let's talk about it. If you really have a problem with me, talk to me people in relationship with God I say this partly to introduce the sermon for today but also I want to introduce the new series that we're going to go into in September starting with the 13th when we go to two services we're going to be in a book of the Bible called Hebrews now nobody knows who wrote this book we know that uh, there's a lot of good stuff in there and the title of the series, we're going to call it Witness. It means that you've seen something, and because you've seen something, you're actually able to testify about the thing that you've seen. And the book is about witnesses, about people giving witness to who Jesus actually is, what he is historically, and in the whole sort of the story, the meta narrative, they call it, of the whole world. And these people, bear witness to the person of Christ, and then because they actually bore witness, they're willing to give their life for it. They've been in relationship with this God, and this God has been in relationship with them. And then the book crescendos in chapters 11 and 12 with a list of these witnesses and the price they were willing to pay to continue to bear witness. And so it helps us to think about how to be culturally engaged. One of our church values is open culture. How to be culturally engaged, but not just culturally engaged. Anybody can do that. But to be culturally engaged as true witnesses. If you're a witness, but you're not engaged, you're not helpful. If you're culturally engaged, but you haven't seen anything, you're not helpful. But if you can actually experience and know personally relationship with Jesus, and you can be culturally engaged, then you can bear witness. And many Christians, I think, do disservice to Christianity and to Christ himself because they speak of what they have not seen or heard or experienced. They make stuff up. They have impure motives, conflicts of agenda. Christianity is just a form of escapism. It's a way to be intellectually and emotionally lazy or given to their fears of engaging life. Many Christians speak about holiness, but without being safe to other people. We know that Jesus was holy and safe. We know this because he attracted a broad spectrum of people as the holiest of the uh, uh, holy we have religious leaders in Jesus' time who claimed to know God, but yet people were scared of them. They would not open their mouths near them, and yet Jesus pulled people out of the woodwork. The Pharisees themselves said of Jesus, "He speaketh as one with authority," recognizing that Jesus may have actually experienced God maybe he knows a couple of things about God and you can kind of tell by the way he speaks he's bearing witness so that's coming up in the fall I think it's going to be great Uh, because uh, of the nature of the density of the book and because of how we want to preach that book Uh, We are going to leave that a little bit open-ended. Right now, we have a scheduled one chapter per week, but it may uh, go a little bit longer depending on how things go. Uh, Today is related to that, of course, the Psalms bearing witness to actually knowing God. And so the title of today's sermon is uh, Witness. And I want to invite all of us to bear witness, to think about the necessity of bearing witness—that God really, really is everything, and He is ultimately the beginning and the end, and the uh, the thing we are living for. So, two points today: one, be a witness, and two, bear witness. Be a witness. Bear witness. First, be a witness. I have learned as a pastor and church planter, somebody who uh, starts churches, that means that you're gathering a lot of people into the church for the first time ever in many cases. Uh, I've learned that everyone is an evangelist. Everyone. Every single person is an evangelist about the things they have actually borne witness to. And they believe in. If you have experienced anything in your life, anything for me right now, it's a paint color. Like Susie and I just chose a paint color for our kitchen. We are in love with this color. We've told everybody we've walked into about this paint color. Owl gray from Benjamin Moore. It's a fabulous color. You know why I'm talking about it? Because I have borne witness And I believe in this paint color and the way it interacts with white porcelain. It's just lovely. That's all I have to say about it. It's lovely. (laughs) You are also an evangelist. If you've actually seen something, if you actually believe in something, you will speak of it. How can you not? It's gaining meaning in your life. It's some semblance of a lifeline for you. It solved a problem for you. It tastes delicious in your mouth. It's stimulating your retina in interesting ways. I mean, you believe in it. It's exciting to you. And in fact, only the testimony of witnesses are helpful and effective and in a court of law, legal. Everything else is just hearsay. What have you seen? What have you heard of? What have you experienced in your life? So we see this in verse two. Yes, in the sanctuary, I have seen you and witnessed your power and splendor. Now, this is David who's in the wilderness. He's been chased out by his own son, executed a coup. Absalom is the son's name. And so he's out in the wilderness, and there, when his life is upside down, he says, I have seen you. Now, I know Christians talk about God. They speak of God. But I I do want to know if sometimes they overspeak. If they are representing someone they have not actually met. If you haven't, that's fine. But just say so. Say, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I'm curious, I'm wondering, I've been processing, but I have seen you and witnessed your power and splendor. And then verse 3, because experiencing your loyal love is better than life itself. My lips will praise you. God's love is worthless to you if you haven't experienced it yet. The the intellectual idea of God's love doesn't do anything for you. It doesn't bear any weight. It's just a decorative wall. It's not load-bearing in your life. It's not holding anything up. When the wind blows and the waters are kicking up against you, An intellectual concept of God's love doesn't do anything for you. What do you need? Verse 3, experiencing your loyal love. Have you experienced God's love? If you haven't, that's fine. But just say so. Be honest about it. Say, you know, I have this idea that I was made for love. I'm drawn to love. Songs, movies, stories, Books, relationships, my own heart, what I dream of, what I long for, it points to this thing that I think the world calls love. I think I was made for it. In fact, I have this feeling that maybe I was made by it, that somebody loved. And I was sort of this, sort of this overflow of some being that is love itself. But I really want to experience it. I feel cut off from it. I feel sort of on the outside of this thing called love. I like to experience it. That's a great testimony. Because that you're actually feeling that. And when you share that with somebody, they will nod their heads yes. Because now you're being an effective witness. You're bearing testimony. Giving testimony. And so experiencing God's love is better than life itself. Love... It's not better than life itself if you're not experiencing it. In verse 4, for this reason, I will praise you while I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. What reason? What reason is it? Because I go to church and I should act that way? No. Because they've actually seen and witnessed and experienced For this reason, I will praise you while I live. So incredibly important. Otherwise, your stock goes down, credibility goes down. The world, even yourself, you sniff this out. It's phony, it's hollow, it's just words, it's just wishful thinking, it's make believe, but it's not testimony. What's your reason? Where are you actually at with God? It's okay. It's okay to be honest. In fact, you have to. What else are you going to do? Fake it? Fake it till you make it? I don't think you're going to make it. Just in fact, last night, uh, my wife and I were at a dinner party and there was uh, a just a mixed crowd and people we were meeting for the first time last night. And we got to talking with a person. And uh, she shared, uh, when I shared, this is what always happens. As soon as they ask, so what do you do for a living? And I say, well, actually, and I have to say actually, actually, uh, I'm, I'm the pastor of the church here in, on Mercer Island. Oh, which one? You know, the one across from the post office. Oh, I've seen that one. You know, I want to tell you, I don't believe in God. But I've been thinking about going somewhere because I feel like my kids need something. (laughs) Happens all the time. And then we talked about God and what kind of church. And she said, you know, I'm going to stop by. I don't know if we can pull it off tomorrow, but I think I might show up. And she asked for contact information. It might happen. But you know what she said? She said, You know, I, I feel like there are all these people, Christians out there, who are drawing this thick black line, and you're either on one side or the other. I just don't think that's true. I think most of us live somewhere on the line. Sure, not sure. Have I seen? Have I heard? Am I making this up? What's my agenda? I don't know. It's tricky. This is why the scriptures call this faith. It's faith. We're going to hear more about this in Hebrews. But we live by faith and not by sight. Something is pulling us, compelling us forward. And most of life is three steps forward, two steps back. Susie and I were going on our walk. And uh, last night, and we're walking, and usually, you know, we just walk and talk, and, but suddenly she stopped, and she said, Peter, and I kept going, she said, Peter, stop. I stopped. She said, come back. She's not a directive person. She was very directive yesterday. Come back. So I went back. She said, look right. I looked right. And there was a blood red moon. Any of you see it yesterday? It wasn't like pink. It was like red. It was half a moon, but it was amazing. It was amazing. Now, I have seen pictures of red moons on my computer. Guess which one was more amazing? Why? Because I'm bearing witness. I'm actually there experiencing it with my own eyes in the air, in the space, vastly more powerful, qualitatively different than seeing a moon on my computer screen or you telling me about it. And I listened to Susie, and it was, it was like something came through in her voice that made me listen. I was going to do anything she was going to tell me to do at that moment because she witnessed it herself. She said, stop, come, look. Turn right. There it is. Testimony. So powerful. Acts chapter 4 verse 20 says this. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. These are the disciples. The guy who said this, this apostle Peter, he was crucified upside down for his faith. The legend goes because he had actually seen something. And it's the only reason. Now, how can you be a witness? Uh, Psalm of David written when he was in the Judean wilderness. Verse 1, in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Verse 6, nighttime hours. Verse 7, deliver under your wings. Under your wings means there's a lot of Danger out there. And it's the picture of a mama bird protecting her young under her wings. Now, we know birds do this. Jesus talked about this, how he longed to gather uh, the Israelites under his wings. And now we, we have seen, now we have pictures of forest fires where mama birds are dead and they died with their wings spread out over their young. And so we know David was experiencing difficult times. So I think there are two ways that you can be a witness, that you will actually have testimony to give. The first one is through difficult times. I know difficult times are not God's will because evil is not God's will. It's part of the process of what we're going through, and his redemptive power is strong to work good out of evil, but evil itself is not of God. In all things, God works for the good. Not all things are good, right? But through difficult times, you begin to witness God. It's a hard but real truth. And then verse One again, I long for you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. Verse 5, as if with choice meat you satisfy my soul, my mouth joyfully praises you. What we see in verse 1 and verse 5 is the soul and flesh coming together. It's interesting. David says, with choice meat you satisfy my belly. No, he says, with choice meat you satisfy my soul. So when you're going through difficult times... The way God knows to meet you where you're at is not by remaining just spiritual and ethereal and intangible, but he meets you where you are at, in your body, in your circumstances, not just in your soul, but in your flesh. Not just in your head, but in your mouth, filling your mouth with choice meat. And so with your mouth, you praise, you sing the praises of your soul. So God is a practical God. He's a tangible God. He's a relational God. He made our physicality. And so through difficult times, the way God shows you his power and his strength so that you can bear witness to him is by meeting your practical needs. This is part of how God operates There's an invitation through difficult times for you to experience him in practical ways. And then, and I think often only then, are you able to bear witness, give testimony to something you have seen and heard. You see so often in the scriptures, especially in the gospels, Jesus meeting physical needs It's not the spiritually blind only that are able to see. It's the literally blind who see. It's the literally lame. It's those who are hungry who are filled. Then there is uh, bearing witness. Bearing witness, you have to look this up as a phrase. The first definition you'll find if you look this up is to provide evidence for by your existence that something is true. So, if you've witnessed something, then you are a witness. But to bear witness, you have to persist as a witness. You have to just exist. So, bearing witness, first and mostly, is that you are a witness. And second, that you exist as a witness. Now, this is a subtle but important point. If you want to bear witness to God, Jesus says, let your light shine. Not shine your light. Anybody know what the difference is? Shine your light is what cops do when you get pulled over at night. (laughs) It's frightening. And you want them to stop because you can't see. It's obnoxious. It's annoying at best. It's oblivious. It's not emotionally intelligent to shine your light. We are called to let your light shine. That means if you have light, don't get in its way. Let it shine. There's a passivity to it. I think evangelism is mostly letting your light shine. If you actually are a witness, if you claim to know God, and you do know God, then let God come through. I think the church is a place where people can stumble on Christ. But most people who walk in through the doors of the church never get to Christ because they're stumbling on Christians. If Jesus is up here, they've stumbled out there. We are in the way more often than not. Let your light shine. The nature of your presence speaks for itself. If you look... At these verses I put up on the screen for you and what I underlined, uh, David, he exists and lives as one who longs, that's verse 1, thirsts, verse 1, yearns, verse 1, remembers, verse 6, thinks, verse 6, praises, verse 5, joyfully, verse 5 and 7, and he experiences the satisfaction of witnessing God in his practical world, verse 5. This is David just living his life well with God. And somehow, his people are blessed by it. Somehow, his light begins to shine. If God is an actual experience for you, if he's a load-bearing wall for you in the times of your suffering, in your soul and in your flesh, in the concrete jungle, then you will helplessly effectively bear witness and when you speak it's secondary and mostly it gives evidence to what others had already suspected about you i think especially uh, as a cultural point of sensitivity for us you don't aim for evangelism you aim for god and evangelism is just collateral damage That's how we are called to bear witness. Uh, Verse 3, because experiencing your loyal love is better than life itself. My lips will praise you. Now, what do you bear witness to? Verse 3 is loyal love. It's the Hebrew word hesed, and it's often translated everlasting love. In the Greek, the same uh, Greek version of this word is translated grace. And The definition of hesed or grace is unconditional, undeserved love. And at the center of this psalm, what David is sharing is that his greatest need is grace. That what satisfies him more than all things is God's unconditional, undeserved love. He's saying what our Souls and our flesh most long for is unconditional, undeserved love. What most profoundly changes us and heals us is unconditional, undeserved love. Love. Psalm 34, verse 8 Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. Couple of one application point, actually, just one today. Verse four again says, "For this reason, I will praise you while I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands." I want to trace the logic of this passage and sermon for us here. The first one was be an actual witness. Second was, so that you can bear witness. You have to be a witness so you can bear witness. What are you bearing witness to? To God's unconditional and undeserved love. And these three steps lead David to do this thing. Lifting up his hands. A physical way to express surrender. God, you got me. All of these things, it doesn't add up at all to what my soul is most satisfied by, which is your unconditional, undeserved love. So practically speaking, church, how do we experience the love of God in our life in such a way that we can be a witness to it and that we can bear witness to it? Have you experienced God's unconditional, undeserved love? And as I studied uh, other chapters in the Psalms, uh, one theme kept emerging for me uh, as a way to experience God's love, it's passivity. It's what the Psalms call waiting. If you are in a difficult season in your life, one of the most powerful and precious things that you can do is to wait on God. I know that sounds so dorky. That's, such, that's the most Christian thing I've said all sermon. <laughs> like, wait on God. But it's like creating space and time for God to show up rather than rushing in to tackle it yourself. And just, just pause for a second. And, uh, you know, I've been praying for God to heal my eyes, and I've shared this, I think, earlier on. Uh, I used to... Um, You know, pray this prayer. I haven't prayed it in a couple of years, but right before I put my contact lens in, I would say, God, you have three seconds. (laughs) Just pause for three seconds to see if he'd heal my eyes. Or right before I pop a couple of Advils, God, I have this crazy headache right now. You got three seconds. But it's just a fun way for me to practice waiting, passivity. And I want to end the sermon by reading you a poem Uh, by Russell Kelfer. Um, And I came across this sermon, maybe, I mean, this poem, maybe 12 years ago, but I haven't forgotten it, so I looked it up, and there it was. Okay, listen as I read this. Desperately, helplessly, longingly, I cried. Quietly, patiently, lovingly, God replied. I pled and I wept for a clue to my fate, and the master so gently said, Wait, wait, you say, wait, my indignant reply. Lord, I need answers. I need to know why. Is your hand shortened or have you not heard? By faith, I have asked and I'm claiming your word. My future and all to which I relate hangs in the balance and you tell me to wait. I'm needing a yes, a go ahead sign or even a no to which I can resign. You promised, dear Lord, that if we believe, we need but to ask, and we shall receive. And Lord, I've been asking, and this is my cry. I'm weary of asking. I need a reply. Then quietly, softly, I learned of my fate, as my master replied again, wait. So I slumped in my chair, defeated and taught, and grumbled to God. So I'm waiting for what? He seemed then to kneel, and his eyes met with mine. And he tenderly said, I could give you a sign. I could shake the heavens and darken the sun. I could raise the dead and cause the mountains to run. I could give all you seek and please you would be. But you'd have what you want, but you wouldn't know me. You'd not know the depth of my love for each saint. You'd not know the power that I give to the faint. You'd not learn to see through clouds of despair. You'd not learn to trust just by knowing I'm there. You'd not know the joy of resting in me when darkness and silence are all you can see. You'd never experience the fullness of love when the peace of my spirit descends like a dove. You would know that I give and I save for a start. But you'd not know the depth of the beat of my heart the glow of my comfort laid into the night, the faith that I give when you walk without sight, the depth that's beyond getting just what you ask from an infinite God who makes what you have last. You'd never know, should your pain quickly flee, what it means that my grace is sufficient for thee. Yes, your dearest dreams overnight would come true, but oh, the loss if you missed what I'm doing in you. So be silent, my child, and in time you will see that the greatest of gifts is to truly know me. And though oft my answers seem terribly late, my most precious answer of all is still wait. Jesus waited and longed and yearned and asked and cried out to God, and God did not answer. God forsook him instead of us so that we might wait and find him. Let's pray. Father, we want to um, experience you, and we want to know you, and we want you to be real, and we want to be a witness and bear witness to the true and living God and your love your hesed, your grace. And I pray that you would know, uh, you would help us uh, to know how to wait for you, to not settle for less or other, but to wait for you and what that means in our life at this season and time. And thank you that we can have confidence in our wait because of the cross of Christ and the price he paid for us.